Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. If you want to partner with us, or if you're interested in more information, head over to brave.church to find out more. There you'll see resources to help kids learn more about Jesus, discussion guides for this talk, as well as ways our Brave Compassion team is responding to needs in this season. To catch the full Brave release, including worship and other updates, check out this talk on YouTube. Now, thanks for joining us. We hope this talk helps you find and follow Jesus. Hey, welcome to Brave. My name is Samuel. I'm the lead pastor around here. And hey, a few weeks ago, something really exciting happened. Our church became a multi-site church. Valley Christian Center and Brave Church in San Ramon have unified. And one of the things that we said in our vision video about this unification is that we're one church, two locations. But you know what? I I realized something this week. We're actually one church, three locations. Because since March of 2020, we now have an online campus. And that's one of the places that we gather every week. And so if you're joining us online, thanks for tuning in. There are so many reasons that the online campus is important beyond the pandemic. Someone might live outside the area, but our ministry is touching their life. You might be local and not yet comfortable uh, showing up in person, maybe you're still checking things out online, hey, we hope to meet you soon. Or if you're on vacation, traveling for work, the online campus is a great way to stay connected and not miss a week. So, hey, we are living in some very exciting times in Dublin and in San Ramon, but online isn't going anywhere. It's still gonna be an important place for ministry in the present and the future of our church. Well, hey, let's pray before we look at God's word together. God, I thank you right now for everyone watching. I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you today. God, I pray during this season in the life of our church that you would give us an extra measure of your grace. God, I pray that you would provide the resources we need to fulfill the vision you have given us. And above all, God, I pray for a spirit of unity to bond us and to to, to hold us together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, there's a big difference between admitting something and owning it, okay? Admitting is like, I ate the last piece of pizza or telling your spouse about the traffic ticket you got or that you forgot to take out the garbage cans and none of those things relate to me. But when you own something, you boast in it. Like, I love Apple products, right? Apple fans are crazy. Or, Or I'm a Giants fan and I don't care which side of the bay we're on. Owning it is saying, I love my church and I serve in Brave Kids or I serve on the welcome team. I got the Team Brave tattoo. Have you ever heard someone talk about their weaknesses like that? See, we don't celebrate weakness. The world we live in says, don't own your weakness. Try to fix them or hide them. Weakness has no value. Weakness is a liability. Weakness is embarrassing. So we spend all of this time trying to compensate or cover up our imperfections. Uh, One of the most isolated seasons of my life was when I was 20 years old, and I had planted a church with some friends, and while I was uh, assuming this position as lead pastor, because one of us had to, I was taking this class called Pastoral Ministry. And it was a good class. You know, they taught us stuff about how to do weddings, funerals, but the class also built up the position of a pastor as being on such a high pedestal It made me feel like I had to deserve it by being better 
wiser, holier, stronger than everyone else around me, which led to a lot of isolation. In fact, I went from having strong, healthy relationships with some of my closest friends to feeling like I had to put up some walls. And I just felt alone because I couldn't own my weakness. I felt trapped. And the truth is, that didn't make me a better pastor. That didn't make me a better leader. That didn't make me a better follower of Jesus. I had a wrong view of where true strength comes from. Maybe you know what that's like, to feel like you have to appear a certain way to others. Like if I don't talk myself up, people won't know how great I am. Or if I say I'm tired, they'll think I'm not fun. Or if the house isn't clean, they'll judge us. Or if I talk about what's really going on with my kid, they'll think I'm a bad parent. Weaknesses can be hard to accept. But you know what I know about every single person listening right now, what I know to be true, is that we all have weakness. Fortunately for us, the Bible shows us what what God can do with our weaknesses if we choose to own them. The title of today's talk is Own Your Weakness. Own Your Weakness. And we're going to look at a key passage from the Apostle Paul. And before we read it, let me give you some background. Okay, so Paul is, is on the path to becoming one of the most impactful apostles. God is using him mightily as an instrument to spread the good news all over the world. Um, he's just had a beyond belief, visionary experience of God on the level of uh, Moses receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Okay, just this crazy experience. Yet in the verses just before the ones that we're about to read, he tells us about this thorn in his flesh that he's pleaded with God to take away from him. And this thorn, it, it could have been a metaphor for some kind of struggle, or it could have quite literally been a physical ailment, which is what many believe it was. But, but either way, what's important to know is that Paul comes to the conclusion that this thorn in his flesh is for his benefit. Because what this thorn does is keep him from becoming conceited. Conceited people may be able to admit their weaknesses sometimes, but godly people can own them and in doing so, find strength in Jesus and bring God glory. So check this out. Um, Let's look at this conversation between God and Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. But he said to me, and this is God speaking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This passage gives us three reasons that it's okay to own your weakness. And the first thing God said is right here in the first six words that he speaks. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to write this down, uh, one of the best ways to learn and to really uh, internalize and take to heart is to, to jot things down, whether it's in a, in a notes on your phone or, or you have a journal with you and you're writing down. But you can write this down. The first reason is this. Number one, nothing is enough without God. Nothing is enough without God. Not a person or a thing is enough without God. We don't just choose God. We don't just accept God. We need God. We're dead without him. 
So many of us today believe this lie that our culture tells us. And I think it starts when we're kids, you know, it's very well intended. We hear things like, you are enough. And it sounds so right. It sounds so inspiring, doesn't it? You are enough. But listen, that's not true. We're not enough. I'm not enough. You're not enough. Nothing is enough without God. We see the effects of this all around us. For example, we are living in a pandemic age for stress and anxiety. And it's not just a problem outside of the church. It's a problem within it. And this isn't a surface problem. Treating the symptoms won't fix this. We need to get deeper and ask ourselves, what is really going on? When the chaos of this world unites with the chaos in our hearts, who's in control? We are not enough. And the more we try to be enough without God, the more we experience the symptoms of life without God. We need to own our weakness, admit that that we need a greater power and receive God's grace. For some listening today, owning weakness means recognizing two kinds of grace that we so desperately need. God's grace actually comes in two different forms. Grace for being included in God's family and grace for being empowered. Inclusive grace recognizes this. This is what it recognizes. You can write this down. We can't save ourselves. The only way to be included in God's family is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. But this salvation isn't a one-time thing, okay? It's an ongoing work that God wants to continue doing throughout our lives. This is what makes us more like Jesus. And so as God's grace begins to touch different parts of our lives that need to be restored, we begin to flourish. But every time we try to fix ourselves apart from God's grace, we're actually taking a detour. All the while God's waiting for us, trying to get our attention by his grace that shows us once again, it's never been about us being enough. We need God and we desperately need his grace. Then empowering grace, this other form of grace, recognizes that we can't do God's work without God's power. Relationship work without God doesn't work. Uh, When my wife and I got married, one of the most common pieces of advice that people gave us was, hey, just keep Jesus at the center of your marriage. And, and, you know, that that sounded like really great advice. But what does that mean? What, What does it look like? How do you keep God in your marriage or any relationship for that matter? Have you ever wondered, like, how do I know if God is in a friendship or if God is in a relationship? See, the key is having God's help. Is there a a grace to work through the hard stuff? Grace to forgive, grace to reconcile, grace to see another point of view. One of the ways that I know that there's more grace in my marriage today than there was when we first got married is that I used to think that we needed to work through every disagreement or, or every dispute. But one of the signs that God is working in our relationship is now sometimes before the conflict takes place, I stop and I don't bring it up and I pray about it. And when I do this, I'm not reacting in anger or frustration. Instead, with empowering grace, I'm able to consider this question. God, is this something we need to work through or are you working on me? See, when Jesus is at the center, there's another person helping you work things out. Another example of the powerful difference that grace makes is in how we approach justice and equality. See, justice work without God doesn't work. 
A member of our church named Vintage Foster, he recently started a nonprofit that we're partnering with called Faith First. The concept is getting churches from urban and suburban context with different demographics and backgrounds to connect intentionally for serve projects and community so that we can learn from one another. And I love how this is a way that we can take action in a time where we're reminded almost daily of the racial divides and tension in our nation. This week I met with Vintage and I asked him, what's the difference between justice work with God and without God? And so here's what he said. So the, the, the premise around living your faith first is it, it, it comes from a struggle that I think the kingdom of God is having. It comes from a place where we're, we're not really getting this right. We see people who are hurting, uh, whether they be of a certain race, a certain uh, socioeconomic class, a certain geography. And instead of saying, I want to see God's love poured out to them. I want to see them treated as people who are whole and valued. What we say is, well, if you believe this or if you follow this, and what we're doing is we're taking our faith and we're taking our political, our socioeconomic, our views on how uh, economies should work, and we're blending that with our faith. And, and, and by default, we're saying, okay, if you want God's love, you have to believe like me. You have to think like me. There is nothing in the word of God that says you have to be of a certain party, a certain race, a certain philosophy. The only thing the word of God says is that we need to give our lives to Christ to know his love and be part of his kingdom. And so faith first is a challenge to us as believers and us as a society to say, I will put my faith first and all my other allegiances, not bad to have those allegiances, will come second. And I will lead with the love of God first. Thanks, Vintage. Uh, we'll be sharing more soon about Faith First and how our church can get more involved as things develop. But justice work without God doesn't work. Sharing your faith without God doesn't work. Also, soul work without God doesn't work. So you can do all the rituals, spiritual disciplines. You can read self-help books. You can listen to meditation apps, emptying your mind. Listen, emptying your mind isn't the path to peace. Inviting the presence of God to fill it is what makes the difference. So you can have the best practices for following Jesus. You can know all the right things. There are a lot of books on practicing the way of Jesus right now. That's a popular phrase right now. That's old language made new. Okay, it's new packaging, but the same methods. The methods haven't changed. It's the same stuff that my parents' generation called spiritual disciplines or spiritual formation. And so here's the point. Those are good things, but at the end of the day, you can still do all the right things and miss Jesus. The Pharisees had this stuff nailed, but when God showed up as a person right in front of them, they missed it. The practices for the sake of practicing isn't what transforms Simply doing the right things isn't where the power comes from. A devil worshiper can do that and get results. See, owning your weakness is about adopting a heart posture that says, I will never be enough without God. Own your weakness. And this starts by, number one, recognizing that nothing is enough without God. And now let's look at the second part of verse nine. It says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. This means number two, if we're blind to our weaknesses, we won't see God's strength. If we are blind to our weaknesses, we will not see God's strength. In the same way that mental health needs to be destigmatized, we need to destigmatize weakness. The church should be a place where weakness can be so openly talked about and used to show the strength of God that it draws people in. So being secure in weakness is a sign of being secure in Christ. There's a character in the Bible named Moses who knew his weakness really well. In fact, he was a great prophet and a leader of Israel, but he had a weakness that many today would think this would disqualify him from being used as one of God's messengers. Moses couldn't speak. He had a stutter. He wasn't good at it. Yet God used him to write the first five books of the Bible. See, Moses saw his weakness for speaking as a liability. He told God, hey, get somebody else. And after trying to convince God that he was too weak, he then convinced God to bring Aaron along to speak for him. But in the end, Moses ended up getting comfortable enough with his weakness to not let it get in the way of being a messenger to the people. Own your weakness. God knows what they are anyways. At the end of the day, God is going to work through whoever he wants to work through. And not just for your sake. Okay, this is really important when it comes to being on a team. The church is a community of people with a mission and we have to work together. Um, Maybe you know know what it's like. Remember group projects in high school or in school if you ever had a group project and maybe there was someone in the group that just insisted on doing this part of the project. Maybe they wanted to do this or they wanted to do that, but everyone else in the group knew they were the last person that should be doing that part of the project. How'd that go, right? Not very well. It always bottlenecks things. It holds things back. The worst part for the health of the team is when we can't own our weaknesses, it actually keeps others from stepping up in their gifting. Owning your weakness is one of the best things that you can do for the people around you. Because when we own our weaknesses, we actually are inviting others in to help. God isn't looking for super Christians as much as he's looking for groups of people who can acknowledge their weaknesses and work together. The church I see is a place where everyone in the world wants to learn about leadership because when we aren't blind to our weakness, we see the strength of God all around us and the people that he's put in our lives. And that is a community where people take notice and they say, what's their secret sauce? Those people are serving their city like there's no tomorrow. Look at how fast they organized. Look at how good they are at caring for the poor. Look at how well they collaborate and work together. Own your weakness. The moment you forget that you need God's grace, you stop accessing it. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have been when I'm at the end of myself, when I don't know what to do. And all I know is is I'm not strong enough. And I'm stressed, I'm exhausted, I'm overwhelmed. I need God's strength. And at this point, I I usually get my guitar, I sit in the family room, and I just worship. And I ask God to tell me what I need to hear, or to show me what I need to see, or to give me the truth of how much bigger he is than my situation, or let me feel his presence and remember that he is with me. In these sweet moments with Jesus, my defenses drop, I, I don't hide my weakness, I boast about them by telling him how inadequate I feel. 
And when, and when I'm having a hard week, you know, preparing and wondering if maybe I should quit preaching or, or when it feels like my family needs more than I have to give or when my notifications won't stop going off and everyone has a question or needs something from me and there's so much noise, in the quiet and the stillness, I find the strength to move forward. When we stop trying to hold it all together, God is there to hold us up. Own your weakness. So number one, nothing is enough without God. And number two, if we're blind to our weaknesses, we won't see God's strength. And lastly, number three, suffering is a superpower for the godly. Suffering is a superpower for the godly. In verse 10, the last thing that Paul says, he says, I I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Why does he do that? Okay, this is the key. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, Before we talk about this superpower, we need to clear something up, okay? Not all weakness or suffering leads to strength. Because there's a narrative out there right now that polarizes people into two categories, okay? The oppressed and the oppressor. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. Okay, one of the problems with the way that we talk about weakness in culture is we're ascribing virtue to the victimized. Look what happened this week with Israel and Palestine. Instead of being grieved and praying for peace, an online war started over who's the true oppressor and what's, who's really being oppressed here. That's not a kingdom perspective. That's not a kingdom response. See, in society today, the more I play the victim, the more moral authority I have in the culture. Yes, Paul was a victim, but he wasn't more virtuous because of his suffering. No, he didn't play his victim status as a way to elevate himself. Instead, he used it as an opportunity to receive help from God and others. It wasn't fair that they threw him in prison. It wasn't fair that they martyred him for his faith in Jesus, that he was killed for his faith. Injustice is wrong. But that doesn't mean being a victim of injustice grants someone the moral high ground. From a kingdom perspective, that's like saying, I am enough as a person without Jesus. And this can go to another extreme too. This is when we say, oh, they they went to Stanford or they're really successful in business or they've got the right last family name. They must be better people or their, their opinion must carry more weight. And that doesn't give someone a moral high ground either. Neither extreme works. It's, it's not more virtue. I'm not more virtuous because I was abused any more than if I went to Cal or Stanford. So what kind of suffering is Paul talking about? How does suffering make us more powerful for the kingdom of God? Paul is talking about a kind of suffering that produces goodness because of its connection to Jesus. Suffering is a superpower because it has an ability like a highly skilled surgeon to get right to the heart of the matter and do a deep work quickly. It gives us eyes to see as God does. Paul's connection to Jesus through his suffering gave him great power. Last Sunday, my mom was part of an interview panel and she shared some of her journey and how living with a degenerative disease called multiple sclerosis has really changed her life. It was a powerful testimony. And then the very next morning, she was driving with my brother, running an errand, and got in a head-on collision. My dad's car was totaled. I, I got a call that they were on the way to the ER in an ambulance. It was really scary. Fortunately, she was okay, 
Uh, she was bruised, the airbags deployed, she was really sore in a lot of pain, but we're just so glad because it could have been so much worse. Uh, but talk about highs and lows, right? Here she is ministering, sharing her story, boasting in her weakness, letting God use her suffering. And then boom, not even a day to rest in the good work that has just been done. She's back to suffering. Her chest, her body was so bruised, purple marks from the seatbelt. And they asked her to come back in uh, a few days later to do x-rays and ribs on her ribs and lungs. We're still waiting for those results. So you can be praying for her. But I called my mom and I just asked her, I said, mom, what did you think when you went from this spiritual high of being used by God and boasting about your weakness to even more suffering the next day? She said, the first thing that popped into my head was the last car accident that I was in. It was when you were, you were little and we had just planted Heritage Church 27 years ago. She said, your dad was out of town and you were in the car with me and we got in an accident and the Lord protected us. And that was a spiritual attack on our family because the enemy knew ground was about to be taken for the kingdom. Often attacks come when we're doing great things, when we're a part of great, a great work. My mom said, I took this accident as a sign that God is about to do another great work. Here she is, beat up, lying in bed, what she's thinking about is what God is going to do next. Wow. Her words carry uncommon weight. Not because of how much she studied, though, though it's good to study. Not because of how old she is or experienced she is, though she has plenty of experience. Her words carry weight because if she's going to go through this much hell and still be talking about heaven, she has a strength that we access a grace that is oh so sufficient for every valley, every trial, every giant that we face. Would you pray with me? God, I pray for those gathering with us online or in person. And God, I pray right now for every person that is contemplating uh, their need for your grace. And God, maybe this is a moment where they need to experience the grace that invites them to join your family, to make you Lord of their life, to make you their savior, to live for you, to find purpose in you. God, maybe they need that ultimate grace right now. And if you're, if you're watching with us, and that's a decision that you would like to make right now, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and agree with this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, I am not enough without you. I need your grace. I need the life that I can find only in you. God, today I commit my life to you from this day forward. I'm not living for myself and I'm not trying to fix myself by myself. God, from this day forward, I commit to a reliance on you. And maybe you're watching or you're listening and and your prayer today is, God, I just need more. I need more of your power. I need more of your strength. God, I see the things you've called me to. I see the things um, that you have asked of me. And I know that I just can't do it on my own. And so God, I pray right now that you would fill us with your grace for this season, that we would have supernatural strength that can only, only be found in you. And that we would see you do amazing things in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Brave Church Podcast. If this ministry is impacting you, please consider giving to support what God is doing through our church. 
For questions or to get connected, please visit brave.church. We'll see you next week.